Good morning. Good to see you again. Anyone can guess where we're going to be uh, looking at? Luke 13. Luke 13. We will actually not be um, staying too long on that. Just wanted to summarize uh, what we've been looking at. We looked at the mustard seed and the leaven. Yeah, we looked at that. We talked about the digging of the, of the area around the fig tree that was unfruitful and that was going to be cut down because it was encumbering the land. And because it was encumbering the land, the master of the land, that vineyard, uh, said, let's cut it down so that it will not put a burden on the land. And the gardener said, give us, give us the, until the end of the year. And this digging and dunging is what he proposed. Let's dig it and dung it. And, and I mentioned that I have a sense that the Lord is actually saying the same thing to us. He's saying, I'm digging you and I'm dunging you uh, because I, ha- I want fruit. I want you to be fruitful. I'm going to do something to cause you to be fruitful. But you've got to let me dig you and dung you because time is not unlimited. It is short, but it's not too late. Yeah, we talked about that. And we talked about the kingdom of God, about seed. And we talked about mustard, mustard seed and the leaven. And then last week, we talked a little bit about how the disciples asked the, the, the master, is it so few that are going to enter into the kingdom of God? And then Jesus said, strive to enter in through the narrow gate. That the entry point into the things of God, the supernatural things of heaven, is a narrow gate that it requires a certain amount of um, striving, not striving in the flesh, but a certain hardness that's there, that we are challenged to do that. So that's what we talked about. I want to talk about this and move on because I believe that there's a key in all this, and that has to do with the kingdom of God as a seed, as a mustard seed. Um, Cindy was talking during communion about the seed that is crushed. It is the, you know, the Bible talks about the anointing as an olive oil, as olive oil, and this olive oil anointing comes from a crushed seed, yeah? So there are a lot of crushed seeds. The anointing comes from this, a crushed seed. When you think about it, the seed seems to be like nothing, but when it's crushed, life flows out of it. Let us pray. Lord, we welcome your presence. We thank you for fathers here. We thank you for the way have sown into the lives of their children and, and done hard things. Sometimes things that are not known, not seen, not trumpeted. But we pray for these fathers right now, especially, that you give them an encouragement today from the, from the throne of heaven. An encouragement that's not just emotional, but something that is substantial. That we, fathers, as well as others who are not fathers, will experience from your throne something substantial today, a quickening, a shifting. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Now let's go to Joshua chapter 5. I'd like to talk about a certain situation that you may be able to identify with in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5 The children of Israel had spent 40 years or so in the wilderness and now they had crossed the Jordan and were about to enter into the promised land. All the promises that God had been preparing for them for. And we are finding that in Joshua chapter 5. They have not reached Jericho yet, but they are on the verge of Jericho. They are in Gilgal. In Gilgal, they were circumcised and that is a picture of consecration to God as they get ready for battles and for their destiny to be fulfilled. In chapter 5, we see one thing that's very interesting that um, I'd like you to turn to. In verse 10, Joshua chapter 5, verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land unleavened cakes and parched grain. Yeah? Unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased 
the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And the, the phrase that strikes me, struck me is in verse 12, and the manna ceased, and the manna ceased. I wonder whether it was shocking for some of them that the means by which they had been uh, provided for and supported and taken care of had completely gone. There was a shift that must have been very shocking for them when they, they found that God was not providing for them manna from heaven. I wonder whether some people murmured, some people grumbled, some people thought, what's wrong? What's going on? And sometimes we experience something, something like that in our spiritual life. When God, when we are young spiritually, we are like spiritual babies, what we experience is this very, very wonderful thing in which a father or a mother feeds us, just feeds us, just provides for us, just takes care of us, supports us, gives us what we need. Yeah? We, see, we experience that, that uh, growing up. We are used to that. And sometimes in our spiritual life, we experience one thing of God's provision for us, and that is the fact that we pray and God provides. We pray and God provides. Now, many Christians die only knowing that. They pray and God provides. For some Christians, their Christianity is all about having needs, bringing those needs to God, and God providing. God rescuing them out of our trouble, out of their trouble, or our trouble, rescuing us out of our trouble. The things that we need, God provides. He gives us providence in that way. How do we do it? We cry out to God and God gives to us. And then after a while, we don't cry out to God anymore and God still provides for us. Correct? Yes? In fact, what we learn about God is that God provides. Isn't that right? Our prayers are more or less like this. When we are in trouble, God, I'm in trouble. Help me. And God helps us. And we rejoice. We are so happy that God provides for us. True? Then something happens. We pray for things and they don't come to pass. We don't get it. It doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. We, we cry out to God and prayer doesn't work. So like babies, we cry louder and we cry harder and we cry more noisily and it still doesn't work. And it is at this point that we either mature or we become always babies or something kick, kicks in and we get bitter against God and we just find conclusions more or less like, well, God doesn't really do these things or God has let me down. I want to put it to you that most of Christianity today is practiced on the basis of I cry to God and God provides for me. He takes care of me. How do I know? Because many Christians say, why didn't God do this for me? They complain about God because He did not provide for them. True? You don't have to say true or amen. You just say, ouch. It's fine. And that's why I feel some of us are at this point in which you've experienced a situation in which there's been this shift and things are not as simple as you expected them to be because God hasn't saved you or, or answered your prayer or given you what you want. I remember the first time I was very restful in the fact that when I sit for exams, whether I've studied or not, if I cry out to God, He helps me. And then one day, I didn't study and I cried out to God in my own normal, pious way and I failed. And it shook me. What? Here's my equation. God is a God of grace. Not according, to, not according to my works, but according to His grace. I need His grace because I didn't study. But because God is a God of grace, I can rely upon His grace to help me. So I pray. And I failed. 
And that was shocking to me. Don't you think that would be shocking? Shocking. It's shocking. What about, how does this grace work then? If grace is not something that is undeserved, then what is grace then? Is, this gra- is grace real? Of course, I had heard people say, well, God helps those who help themselves. It's not actually in the Bible. So they said, well, you failed because you didn't help yourself. I realized that actually what was happening was that I was having a, a bit of a crisis of faith. Is it true that God provides for me? And the children of Israel may have experienced that, but I sense that they didn't because it looks like by the time Passover came, there was no manna, but they already had cakes. That means God had instructed them somehow previously, start sowing seed. Start sowing seed into the land. And what we see here in Joshua chapter 5 is that um, in verse 12, the manna ceased the day after they they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. That means they had a different kind of provision. This provision had to do with not just praying to God and manna dropping from heaven. It had to do with sowing with the seed that God gave them. I'll put it to you that actually the sowing of seed produced more than manna could provide. Manna gave only enough for the day. If they tried to actually keep the manna, the manna would go rotten. Yeah, it would, it would only last one day. But what God was wanting to do is to bring them into a whole different scale, a whole different dynamic, a whole different scale of operations, a whole different way in which God does it, and He does it by seed by casting seed. And the kingdom of God is like seed. It's like seed. What Jesus was speaking about can be traced back to all these passages. You know in Joseph, in uh, Genesis chapter 48, during the time of famine in Egypt, Joseph came to the people of God because the people of God, actually the the, the people of Egypt, uh, were saying, we're going to die because of the famine. You need to help us. And you know what God, you know what Joseph did? He gave them a bunch of seed. He just gave them a bunch of seed. He says, you need to take this seed and plant it and sow it, and then you will have more. And Genesis chapter 48 says, and that's how Joseph saved Egypt. By saving Egypt, he saved the breadbasket of the world. By doing that, he saved the world. Joseph actually saved the world. Egypt was the breadbasket of Greece. It was the breadbasket of Jordan. It was the breadbasket of the land of the Hittites, of, uh, of uh, Anatolia. It was the, the breadbasket of all. Joseph saved the world by seed. They asked for money. They asked for cattle. And Joseph said, I'll give you seed. This is for you. And that is an interesting situation because the kingdom of God is like mustard seed. It's like leaven. It's planted in, it's pushed in, put into the dough, it's put into the ground, it's cast into the ground, and it's a secret way in which it happens. And I want to put it to you that there are some of us who are experiencing ways in which God is dealing with you in a sort of a different way. He's not dealing with you like a baby anymore. Even your prayers are going to be changed. Your prayers are no longer just going to be asking God for what He already knows you need. The prayers are going to be prayers that will take you deep into the presence of God. It will take you deep into the spiritual realm and you will do war against the enemy. You will come closer to God and you you will be yourself a prayer that's planted into the ground. What Cindy was sharing in 1 Peter chapter 1 has to do with the fact that we have been given a new seed. We are a new seed. The seed of Christ is in us. Amen? It's taken out the old seed and put that seed inside us, the seed of Christ. And when the seed of Christ is planted into the ground, when we go through trials and all that, it brings forth much fruit. And so I want to put it to you that actually as we talk about this seed, which is the kingdom of God we saw in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 13, there. God has given to us infinite resources in Himself that are enough for the needs that we experience today. They are enough for the seed needs that we experience today because by giving us a little seed, 
God is giving us more than manna. More than just the things that we pray for in, in, in our prayers. And if we don't get into that, we will always be infantile in our spiritual life. Yeah? Okay. I was listening to um, um, a, a video on the revival that took place in the Hebrides, in the Isle of Louis. Louis. And the man that was used by, by God greatly is a man by the name of Duncan Campbell. Many, many of you have heard of him before. Duncan Campbell was a Scottish, Scottish minister, a Scots minister, and he um, was invited to come to the island of Lewis to preach. Now, before we go to that point, let me paint a picture of what Lewis was like, the island of Lewis in the Hebrides. It was very, very way out in the boonies, way out in the boonies. The young people had stopped going to church. Yeah, there was, they couldn't be found. The church was filled with just, not filled, but people by more older people than anything. They're very conservative. In fact, when Duncan, Duncan Campbell first went to church, he wore brown shoes and he was castigated that he was wearing brown shoes. He should be wearing black shoes. Brown shoes are too frivolous. That's how conservative they were. No wonder there were no, 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 no young people there. And through that, for, 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 a, for a period of time before he came, for years before he came, the, there were two older ladies in their 80s. They were the Smith sisters, Kathleen and Peggy Smith. Kathleen was um, blind. And uh, Peggy, her sister, had arthritis. She had such terrible arthritis that she could not move out of the house. So whereas other people could go to church, she could not, they could not, both of them could not even go to church. And God said to them, you have to pray. You just pray at home and I will come to you. So they prayed. And they started praying for something that was completely impossible. They prayed for young people to come to the church. And they prayed for God to start moving in their church and in the island of Lewis. Yeah? Very far out in the Hebrides. Hebrides would be the west, north, northwest of Scotland. Yeah? And so they began to pray. And as they began to pray, God began to show them that if they sow their lives into the ground in prayer, if their lives, with the little that they had, they just poured everything in their lives in prayer, God would work. And that's the conviction they had. So they come, they're in their 80s, okay, middle 80s. And they come to the pastor of the church, the, the, the vicar of the church. Uh, and they say, we should have more, more young people in the church. We should have more. The young people are out there. They are, they, are, they are just godless. They're completely given up on God. And the pastor hears and says, what can we do? We're all old people. And she said, and, and, and Peggy says, you should pray. That's all. Do? What do? Pray. That's all she said. <laughs> so the pastor obeyed her, and they started having prayer meetings in the church at 10 o'clock at night. And Peggy and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Kathleen could not even go to those prayer meetings because they couldn't leave the house. I want you to just see how immobile they were, how lacking in resources they were, but they planted their lives, not their talents anything or anything like that, but just their lives, their time, into prayer. They just prayed along with the church that was praying at 10 o'clock at night. And as they began to pray, Prayer to them began to take on a whole different form because, you know, you can pray all you pray and then you have nothing left to say, right? Then you get repetitive and then it becomes boring. But how they prayed was this. They prayed. They prayed everything in English, 
Well, actually, not in English, in, in uh, Gaelic, actually, they were praying. None of this was actually in English, it was in Gaelic. And, uh, and, and they began to pray in Gaelic until they found they had nothing more to pray. And they just stood before the Lord, you know, and says, well, don't know, we don't know what more to pray. And as they began to just give themselves to the Lord, just give themselves to the Lord, give themselves to the Lord, all they could do was this in prayer, just says, Lord, we give ourselves to you. Is there anything we haven't given to you? You just give ourselves to you, give ourselves to you. You wonder what two older ladies could do to make that. Even if they gave themselves to the Lord, what would that do? Don't you think? There are no talents to go out there. There are no resources. There's no money. There's nothing. Just praying. But as they took on that burden, God took them into an inner universe of space, of spiritual space, whereby what they did began to move heaven and move the spiritual realm. Things. About a year later, the Lord began to put in their heart to call Duncan Campbell to come and preach a series of meetings in that little church, the church there. Okay? So they went to the pastor, or the pastor came to their house and said, we think we should invite Duncan Campbell to come and preach in Lewis, and something's going to happen. Do you see that? What happened is that in that kind of prayer, they were not just telling God what they already knew, but they were beginning to listen to God, and God put upon their hearts to invite Duncan Campbell. Does that make sense? Prayer begins to shift, you see. When you give yourself to the Lord, and you're not just asking God to do things for you and help, 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 help get you manna and all that, you begin to sow yourself as a seed into the ground. Something begins to happen in the ground. Something mysterious, just like the leaven that's in the, in the, in the dough. Something begins to stir. Some quickening, some secret, mysterious, mysterious quickening begins to take place. And as we begin to do that, things began to happen, and God began to put it in their hearts, bring Duncan Campbell here. Of course, they couldn't bring Duncan Campbell. They could only bring the pastor over to their house. And the pastor said, okay, now by that time of one year, the church prayer meeting had started going from 10 o'clock to 11, to 11 to 12, to 12 to 1, to 1 to 2, and 2 to 3. So every, almost every evening, their prayer meetings would go from 10 o'clock at night to 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the mysterium. That's the mystery. That's the way in which when a seed is planted into the ground, when the whole, their, their life is given over just to pray, just, all they could do is just pray. Pray, not even come out of the house. Things begin to open up. Inner space begin to open up. And God begins to put particles into, into their heart. And so... The pastor invited Duncan Campbell to come to Lewis. Okay? And, that, and then they got a uh, reply. Of course, there was no internet. They couldn't just email. They had to actually sell, send post uh, uh, a letter with a stamp on it. Duncan Campbell said, I can't make it. I'm not coming. And so that seed is still in the, in the, door, in, in the, in the ground. It's still being crushed. And every hope that that seed in and of itself will be able to be fruitful is gone. And the pastor comes back to these two great women and says, he said no. And they, they said, keep praying. Don't say no. Don't accept no. So the pastor wrote again. Now from Duncan Campbell's side, he tells, tells a story I was at a conference. I had told this group of people I can't go because I was supposed to speak at a conference. But during that time, I felt the Spirit stirring me to be completely bendable to God. And God was challenging me that I would obey Him and not just people. I would just obey Him. And so he began to go through this whole process of sanctification whereby he's challenged, you know, he's challenged. Will I obey Jesus alone? So he goes through this, and then he comes to this conference. He's already said, no, I can't do it because he's already been booked. So he's at this conference. 
And it's about time for him to come to, to, to get, get to the platform to speak. And Duncan Campbell says, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you have to go to the island of Lewis. What would you do if you were in his position? You have to go now. You have to go now. He went to the chairman and he says, I have to go now. I don't know what to think of that. Just like the Pharisees said to Jesus, you can, take, you can heal on any other day except the Sabbath. Why must you do it on the Sabbath? I don't know why the Holy Spirit spoke to him to go to Lewis now. He left the stage and took the, fl- the, the, the plane out. This is 1949. So he left and he went to the island of Lewis somehow. He arrived there and he preached and the Holy Spirit fell down. Not upon the church. He was just preaching in the church. Not much was happening. But while he was preaching, outside the church, with people who were not in the church, they were in the, in the, in the, in the, in the dancing halls and all that. You know, In those days, dancing halls were considered bad places. Of sin. In, in all that and brown shoes as well. They were that considered. Out there, the Holy Spirit fell upon young people Everywhere, there was this big parade that was supposed to happen uh, on the island of Lewis. And suddenly during that parade, when there were about 100, 100 odd people, um, uh, young people were saying, suddenly people just in sync, just fell upon the ground and said, with such conviction of sin. And they started weeping and weeping and weeping. They rushed to the police station because they heard that there was a policeman who was a godly man. And they said, what must we do? How can we escape hell? Nobody had spoken to them. The Spirit of God moved. Duncan Campbell believes that real revival does not begin in the church. Revival is actually a move of the Holy Spirit outside the church that brings people to church, but not something that comes from the church out. He said most, there are moves of God that begin in the church, but most revivals to, to him, that he, 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 as, he, as he knows, J. Edwin Orr, also a, a missiologist who's, who's actually very well-versed in revivals, he says they all happen outside. It's almost as if something changes in the atmosphere outside there. One seed can bring forth much more than manna, just God's provision. Something more was happening there and the revival began in that place. I want to put it to you that when God moves us, and he, 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 there's a shift that's taking place, and it seems like things are not working out, or things seem to be depleted, that things seem to be, prayers don't seem to be answered, what God has is to, has this kind of a, a new, new game in town for us. He's doing something. And he wants to bring us from being babies to people who actually experience how we can work with God. And the first thing is, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Amen? It's mustard seed. God may be maturing each one of us, expanding us, and multiplying us by taking us into a place in which we become seed that's surrendered to Him, crushed. And that crushing is crushes our ego, it crushes our own sense of self, it crushes the sense that we want to project to other people so that people can look at us in a certain way as we have presented it. And God crushes that. And perhaps that God is doing that in our lives as well. Where everything that we feel that we are qualified for, everything that we see ourselves as, is being crushed. It seems also as if there's nothing else left in this world. The whole world is just fading out under, under us. And perhaps what God is doing is this other thing that he was doing with the children of Israel. I believe that um, God blesses us and multiplies us by giving us a seed. What we would think is this, Lord, I need a million dollars 
So he'll give us a million dollars. No, he gives us a seed. That seed might be one dollar. Um, Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, said he was so poor that his car had to be held together by wire. And while he was praying, he got a sense that all that he had to offer God was not talent, not, his, not the degree, nothing, not money, nothing, just himself. And God gave to him the seed of a thought. And he prayed out that thought. He said, Lord, I have one dollar left. Give me an opportunity to, to give away a million dollars. And then that, that actual thing actually happened and way beyond. YWAM gave to Operation Mobilization a ship when Operation Mobilization OM's ship sank. YWAM was able to do that. And in, in his book, Lauren Cunningham says, God has fulfilled more than that by seed. I think the seed of the kingdom of God is really an important thing. What it does it takes is, is that it takes us, if we go by that, from being children to being spiritual adults, where God can actually cause multiplication to happen in our lives as well. What do you think? What do you think? Think about it. I mean, have we come to places in which there's blockages in our lives uh, because of the fact that we come to our spiritual lives and sometimes we think, this is great, this is great, this is great, and then suddenly everything stops. And perhaps God is switching things around. Amen. In First, Second Corinthians chapter 8, we see a, a whole new dynamic that comes from seed. Okay. Verse 1. So Paul is talking about the churches in Macedonia. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Um, I've shared with you that before that the churches in Macedonia, the Greek um, Gentile churches, were ten tended to be uh, looked down upon by the church in Jerusalem. The, the church in Jerusalem, they were Jews, and they said that you need to be circumcised. If not, then you are not. Or you, they, they kind of, even after that controversy was, was, was settled, they kind of looked down on them. But the Macedonian ch church was special, something special about them. It says that the grace of God that was given upon the, 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 the churches of Macedonia manifested itself this way. Verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means for their own accord, on their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what happens is this, what Paul is saying here is this. This church in Macedonia, it had extreme poverty, extreme affliction. Their poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, right? Their extreme poverty overflowed. Their extreme poverty overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Go figure. Because they had seed. Their seed didn't depend on how much money they had or how much resources they had. They had seed. The seed was not money. The seed was themselves. It says they gave themselves to the Lord. Amen? I, that gives me hope, right? Because I don't have to start with a certain amount of resources, talent, or, or anything like that. I start with myself. Even if I'm, myself is, is a depleted self. He said, it says they, they gave themselves in their extreme poverty to the Lord and then to us. Ah, oh, I think that's amazing. And because of that, they experienced the ability to give like Lauren Cunningham was, I was sharing with you, Lauren Cunningham, to give beyond their means, 
beyond their means. How? Because seed multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. I don't know how it works. That's the mystery of the kingdom. And that's the part that offends us, right? That's the, the offense of the mystery of the kingdom. It has to do with the fact that when God takes us from this point to this point, there's such a mystery, you just can't figure it out. That's the mysterion that Jesus is speaking about. This is the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. All, he, all Jesus does is says, you take the seed of yourself, you give yourself to the Lord. Let it be crushed. Let your will be swallowed up in His will. Not my will, but thine be done. Wow. Can you imagine that? How does that happen? It can happen for all of us. All of us can be multiplied. He doesn't add to us. He multiplies what's there. Isn't that amazing? What we want to do is like have more manna. I collect manna. Collect manna. And what happened was that children of Israel during that time when the manna was come, they would, some of them would say, I'm going to collect more. And not only that, I'm going to actually hoard it. I'm going to keep it. So they were adding manna to manna to manna to manna. And God said, no. He actually judged them for that. Because the manna did not last. Some of us have had testimonies of how God has answered your prayers. That's great. But somehow, you have not changed. You have not grown in God. I've seen many people who have experienced testimonies, who shared testimonies of how God has given to them what they asked for. But they have not changed. The life of Christ, the life of, of, of spiritual riches in them has not grown in them until they change the dynamic of their relationship, they change the whole way in which their relationship goes to God and says, Lord, I want to multiply myself. I want to multiply believers in my land. I want to see people come to you. I want to do that. I'm going to give myself to you. Amen. When I was uh, in high school, some of you have heard of the organization Campus Crusade for Christ. I always wanted to bring people to, to the Lord in my, in my class. My classroom was, my class had 40, 40 students and I was the only Christian in my class. I was the only Christian in my class. And then God brought Campus Crusade. Whatever you think of them, okay? God brought Campus Crusade to my school. And they trained me to use a little yellow booklet. Can anybody tell me what it's called? Four spiritual laws. And they said, all you need to do is to talk to somebody, take the book, and read it. So, I did. I read it to everybody in my class. I've heard people say, this is such a simplistic gospel, it's too simple, it's just whatever, I don't know. I just did that, that's all I knew to do. By the end of two years, half my class had become Christians. Yeah, yeah. And many of them are still Christians today. You know what? Just uh, last two weeks ago, I got a text from somebody in, uh, in, in, in the, the church that we ministered to FGA. And he said, do you remember this person? His name is Keith. I saw something. I think his name is Keith. Yeah. He just became a Christian. And he asked the one question. He asked, do you know Michael Cole? He said, yeah, I know Michael Cole. He's, he preaches in our church. He preaches. He says, I know him from when he was this small wearing short pants in school. And he shared the four spiritual laws with me and I just didn't respond to it. But now it's more than 40, 50 years. 40, 40 years. Over 40 years now. I want you to tell him I'm a Christian because I can still remember what he said to me. That's sowing, right? Sowing. In my old age, I'm seeing so many of my classmates become Christians who are the most opposed to Christianity. They are the ones who persecuted me. They are the ones who call me, yeah, so chai, which means Jesus boy. 
They, they call me Jesus boy, and everywhere I went, they would say, ah, that's Jesus boy, that's Jesus boy. But I knew one thing. I needed to be a seed that fell into the ground and just not worry about what people thought of me. And my whole class would laugh at me every day. Every day they would talk about me. Every time there's a joke that the teacher has about Christian, they will say, yeah, so chai, yeah, so chai. They will, they'll just keep on needling me, needling me. And somehow God gave me the grace to not fight back. <laughs> Genial laughing. <laughs> I'm going to get you. At the end of two years, people would say, I'm not a Christian. I escaped because so many people were becoming Christians. The four spiritual laws, I, I, I haven't read them since you know, 45 years ago. But guess what? The little that I had, and that's what I just gave to God, and He used it. Amen? So what, what it says here is that our extreme poverty overflows to, uh, another translation says, a, 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 a depth of liberality. And so the rest of chapter, chapter 8 has to do with the fact that Paul is arranging for a gift to be given um, to the Christians down south. And he's speaking to the Corinthian church. And he says, look, Corinthian church, I know you agreed that you're going to give this gift to this, these Christians down south, the, 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 the Jerusalem Christians. And uh, make sure you get it ready. Don't embarrass me because the Macedonian Christians, you know, they are the ones who really gave a lot. And when they see that you're not ready, uh, I'm going to feel embarrassed. But <laughs> it's funny how Paul is so human about that. Chapter 9, it says in verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's a simple principle. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you, you reap bountifully. And then it says here, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely, has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. For he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Wow, that's good. And you will be enriched in every way. I believe that is the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. But he says you have to do it cheerfully. And what he's basically saying is that don't give beyond your level of cheerfulness. Don't give up yourself beyond your level of cheerfulness. If you're not going to be cheerful, then don't, don't go, go beyond that because there not, not, should not be any compulsion in this. And God gives us grace to give of ourselves, whether to, in, our, in terms of our time or in our resources or in our speaking. Yeah? And so I believe that that's something that, that is a completely different dynamic from just praying to God to just supply our, our needs or help us. Amen? I believe that for God to mature us, we have to ask the question, can I sow bountifully in my land? Can I sow bountifully in my land? God gives the rain. Amen? He gives the rain. There are people in your land that He wants to touch. And all He requires is for you to sow a seed. You may think nothing of it, but God, if He has given you a word to share with your friends, and you pray for them, share it. They may not immediately respond to God immediately, but... A seed is the kingdom of God. Once it's there, you can't get away from it. Now, some people say, I'm just going to pray. Prayer is like the rain that comes down. Yeah? If there's no seed, what happens when you have a lot of rain? You just have a waterlogged ground. You pray and pray and pray and pray, but God is saying, maybe you've got to say something. Maybe you've got to do something. And that something may be so small, but give me something to rain upon. Anything times zero is still zero, right? Give me something to rain upon. 
Don't just pray for rain because if you've got no seed, the rain will, do not, will not do anything. It'll just waterlog the ground. And that is the part that we are challenged to every day, to be able to speak out. And I remember that first time when God spoke to me about sharing the gospel with my, my class that He will do it. He will, he, will, he will touch people's lives. I didn't see how He could. And I just read the little yellow book to people. Some people came to the Lord 30, 40 years later. But you know, within two years, I saw half my class come to the Lord. Uh, in fact, one day, um, I was... Um, I was, we were going to get married. And I had driven into the ch church compound. And, uh, and the parking attendant refused to let me park my car. I was dressed in my tuxedo, getting ready to get married. And this classmate of mine that I had not seen for maybe 25, 30 years, I can't remember how old I was at that time, he happened to be there and I had shared the gospel with him. Okay. And I hadn't seen him since then. He comes in and he says to the parking attendant, Hey, he's getting the marriage. He's the bridegroom. Come on, let him get in. And the and parking attendant says, Oh, okay, okay. Let him go. I bought, it bore fruit. I got to get married. <laughs> so who knows, right? You're sowing seeds. May help you get married. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, and so verse 10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. That is an interesting part. What he says, what Paul is saying is this, God will supply you a seed. The critical thing is the seed. Because the seed is your life, but it's also a word that God gives to you, a leading that God gives to you, a little particle, a little intuition, a little word that God's saying, do this this. For Duncan Campbell, that seed was strong enough in him for him to know when the thought came, go to Lewis now. He was strong enough to prevail upon his flesh and all his sense of what's, what's, what's proper. And what we want to do is to give ourselves to that seed and become the seed that falls to the ground. Amen? I wonder whether we, uh, as we close in prayer, have wondered, maybe I should have more fruit in my life. How come I'm not experiencing as much fruit as I could be having? My counsel to you is to ask God, what is the seed that you've given to me? And as we close in prayer, I want to invite you to bow your heads. Uh, and I'll, I'll ask the Lord, are there seeds that are pending? Are there seeds that are waiting to be sown? Are there seeds that you are waiting to sow into my children? Are there seeds of love and time and training and words of God. It involves a crushing, a certain death. A death to self. I realize that for some of us, the awkwardness of speaking to others about how Jesus can really be the answer to the problems they're facing can be difficult. It's almost as if you have to die to self, to the flesh, to the pride. But this is the currency of miracles. Christ has given to us himself and paid for our sins in the currency of his blood. And he works in the currency of seed. Unless a grain of seed falls to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it, if it falls to the ground, if it dies, it will bear much fruit. What seeds has God been putting in your heart? They could be words, 
could be impressions. They could be encounters with God that have not been followed through. It's a surrender of our lives. Surrender of control. We cast it down to the ground. Is it time? Is it just giving in a spirit of generosity? Is it that God perhaps may have alerted you to a need of a brother or a sister or someone in your land? And you felt maybe it's just too awkward. And for fear of making a mistake, you've not moved. And you have a, ba a bag of seed that has been staying in the bag. And perhaps you prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing's happened because there's nothing to, for God to rain seed, rain his rain upon, no seed to rain it upon. Lord, we welcome your presence. We welcome your word. We welcome the personal, personal ministering of the Holy Spirit to our heart. You know that which is in our heart, our desires, our longings. And we know how to pray to you for things that we need, but today we want to go a step further. Come, Holy Spirit. May we be like Peggy and Kathleen. Um, uh, Peggy and Kathleen Smith, who had nothing but their themselves to, to give to you, and how you moved heaven between 1949 and 1952. Bless your name, Lord. Go ahead and talk to God. Bless your name. We thank you, Lord. If the Lord's been speaking to you and you want prayer, feel free to come forward for prayer. We will close in prayer right now, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you are at work in us. And you have not abandoned us just because the manna has stopped. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and you have more. So we ask you to put that multiplying thing, that seed thing in us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and happy Father's Day.